Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, what is up, everybody? Coming in cold. Coming in cold, Jim. But yeah. that, but that's a good thing, because hopefully all that cold, it's 14 degrees out right now, has got the coyotes all furred up and ready to go, because we have a coyote hunt, an upcoming coyote hunt. But before we go hunting, one thing that we wanted to chat with an expert about is kind of the, I got one, now what? The now what moment. Sure. I got one, now what? And so, Jim, you're to my right, and to further to my right, we've got Greg Schrader. Now, we were actually having, we were talking a little bit about this earlier. Apparently, if you go out west, it's more of a Schroeder. If you're out in the Midwest, where we're at right now, it's Schrader. So we're going to go, Greg, we're going to go with Schrader. We're in the Midwest. We're going to use the the common vernacular around here. (laughs) But, uh, Greg, you have a very long and storied history in, I guess, what I'd call the the fur industry. So, I mean, before we get too deep here, I mean, definitely, um, this might be some of the more interesting stuff that we talk about. Man, tell us a little bit about your your story, how how you got started in, in the fur industry, and uh, we'll, a little bit about yourself and, and Fur Harvesters Auction, Inc., where we're sitting here right now. I, I will mention, if you're watching, we're surrounded by fur right now. We've got Literally. A coyotes to the right, wolves behind the cameras. We've seen foxes, badgers, all, all sorts of stuff here. But, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you got going on. Well, we started in uh, fur business in 74, uh, I did. Went and made a mistake walking to a mink rancher. <laughs> and uh, ended up uh, staying and working. And that business, that at that time, that was Cambridge Height Fur. It was a really small fur buyer. And we worked there processing, skinning, kind of piecework. Obviously, on the farm, you can make more money working. And Cambridge Height and Fur uh, then became affiliated with Hudson Bay, London. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which at that time was a huge, the biggest fur auction house in the world. It was an auction house, and from there it continued to grow until it was for a, a buyer, a country buyer was the biggest in the United States. You know, we'd handle a million rats a year, two, three hundred thousand coon, probably as big as most auction houses are today. And from the next step was to learn to grade, and then I have the option to go to London to, to learn from experts. And uh, met a lot of really interesting graders over the years, learned a lot. and. We stayed, and then at that time, uh, Hudson Bay, London, basically went out of business, so it became Hudson Bay, New York, Toronto. And then from that, Hudson Bay was in Toronto for years, and then in 86, I believe, if my dates are right, uh, Hudson Bay, that's when they decided to go to fur business. And then it was incorporated, uh, and it was taken over by Lenny Warner with with a crew, and that then turned into NAF as we see it. The North American Fur Auctions. Okay. And then they stayed, and I worked there through about for the, uh, until about 10 years ago. And then in uh, November of a year ago, they went out of business. So now we're the, basically ended up with the last auction house that handles wild fur in the United States or probably in the world. There's a few in Russia, but in the world. Wow. The last one. The last I can't one. even believe that you guys are like just down the highway from us too. Yeah, right down the highway. So... And we get in from uh, all over the United States. Okay. We concentrate more in the north. 
obviously, because of the, the quality and the amount of traffic. And we run routes just like we talked before with fur bar, fur bars with stop in town. Now we run routes, and you can you bring your fur, and it has to be processed, stretch and dried, which is a, another process. And then you, we pick it up, and then it goes right to the auction that used to be just for dealers. So Hudson Bay, in the early 90s, gave that option to the trappers that they could sell right alongside the dealers and cut out, basically cut out the middleman. Hmm. There's still a, and, but there's still, we still handle a lot of dealer stuff because they buy it green. They do process it. And some of the guys just like the money right away. Sure. Yeah. It's kind of like, don't, up have, front. don't have to mess with it as much. And a lot of guys like the auction else, just the, the challenge of it. Okay. You know, so they process and, um, and then it, we have uh, usually two or three sales a year. We'll have one in April, which we're just coming into now. We're collecting for them. We'll have another one in June. And we usually have one in January. Okay. Hmm. And then, so yeah, like what we were talking about a little bit earlier, and it sounds like there's a little bit of a, a transition going on there, but I'd say back when. The couple times that, you know, we'd go shoot some coons. Yep. You know, this is when I lived in Nebraska, Jim. We're, uh, but we would just take them in the round, just the whole coon, and then uh, you'd try and go, I guess, so they wouldn't sit too long before yep. the you know the fur buyer i guess if you will yep. would come by and so it was like every thursday at you know after work you'd go by and you could drop drop your coons off or your coyotes and yep. you'd they'd, you know write your check and then off you go but it sounds like more and more you're you're having to, i guess get your fur put up to a state where it's skin stretched and dry yeah we used i used to run a route just like a talk and when i was in the early 20s and we ran a route town to town to town seven days a week and you'd put a stop at the local tavern or truck stop or sporting goods store and everybody would meet you there and you'd write checks and as the bigger buyers like the Cambridge Hyden Furs or the Eddie Bowers some of these bigger buyers went out of business for one reason or another the buyers start to diminish because when we were like the big buyer Cambridge Hyden Fur we also bought from all the little buyers okay so yeah. Not only in some cases financed them, we would or we'd buy from them once a week, so they had an option. They wouldn't lose money. It was always the risk of the big buyer that was buying it, and then the big buyer would deal with the auction houses. And as the big buyers diminished, the little ones um, got older and quit. Even with the dealers today, now you have two sales a year, so it takes quite a bit of money. You're going to sell in, you buy all season, sell it in April and May or May. So it takes longer. And, and then, the, of course, it got to be harder and harder to find people to process it because a lot of what you bought was green. <laughs> You're in a carcass. You had to hire people to skin it, flesh and stretch it. And the costs kept going up and up and up like everything. And it got to where a lot of them just decided they had enough. They quit. Was the cost of everything going up, but the fur prices were not not going up? Yeah, were not enough to warrant. Okay. Yeah, and and then what happened was, as they diminished, you lost a whole generation of fur people. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't the opportunities if you were in town when I was a kid. You went, well, I got started. You went to fur bar. You always had work. Mm-hmm. And at one time here in Cambridge, I mean, we had. Uh, we probably employed 50, 60 people just processing fur. And you could work after high school. A lot of them are high school kids, uh, right out of high school. And they'd all show up and work at the fur house. Retired women. 
And as when that left, and all the rest of the fur buyers left, where do you go to learn? Mm-hmm. And you yeah. Don't, and you don't have that day-to-day contact with that little buyer. If you wanted to put your fur up, you wouldn't need to show you how to do it because you could see the guys doing it. Now where do you go to to learn it? You you never you don't see anybody. You know, if you watched uh, guys doing it or the buyer would walk you through the steps because he wanted you to do it too. And then you mm-hmm. bring it back, stretch and dry, and he encouraged it. But as they quit in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, now you have a whole generation that never, unless they learn it from the parents, are not learning. They'll go harvest a coon today. Let's say you're 15 and you get a coon. What do I do with it? Mm-hmm. First, it's got to be skinned. Mom, don't want me to do that in a garage. Can't do it in the, bo- in the uh, basement. And then even if I could flush it, where do I do it? Mom don't want the freezer. So you're losing the whole, even if you shoot it, the whole right. generation. We get calls every day, guys. I just shot a coyote. What do I do? Oh, you got to skin flush and stretch it. Well, you know what he did with it. Really? Okay. And there they sit. Yeah. And so you're going to see the fur production go down. Now, why is it that the fur industry has dipped so much is it because of is it because of like i mean i'd imagine it's a number of things but public perception probably of people was, yeah. using and wearing furs and then synthetic furs that are coming out that are maybe getting no, better you know even when the prices were high in the early 80s late 90s they still had public perception anti-bias whatever but i think as it got as when we've seen the computers come out youtube and everything else, you, yeah, you had more. It was easier for the public to access uh, misbeliefs with, with trapping mm-hmm. and hunting. See with all sports, and so the public perception, yeah, did change. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. where, yeah, and when that changed, a lot of the the fur production we used to have is turned to ADC work, which is animal damage control. Oh. So they'll do it all year round when it doesn't have value. Obviously, they won't do it. In a, so they get calls in the summertime. In the southern states, it's a lot of it. And you have companies that you hire, and they'll come over, remove your beaver, take care of your coon, what have you. So you got a big production of fur yet. It's just at the wrong time of the year. Right, so it's not they're mm-hmm. performing more of a, I guess you know, a service, if you will. Like they're, they're still, company, yeah. they're mm-hmm. still doing the trapping. They're still running a company. They're making an income off of you know trapping or removal of you know these uh, you know nuisance animals. But the the fur is like you said, it could be the middle of the summer, and it's just not going to have that value. Most of what fur is in a, today, you know, they're a nuisance or predators, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so they're going to get removed. But it's seen most of it is done with, um, yeah, it's ADC, and they take, it's a huge, that's our biggest competition. And I mean, if they're just getting paid just just to take the animal, I mean, and or big, whatever, and move it or get and, it off the and property. The, and the lot. I mean, they, these legitimate companies make a lot of money doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if they don't have to fuss around with yeah, you get a, all the skinning, flushing. You know, you have a, yeah, you have a coon in your chimney with a bunch of young ones, and they want $500 to get them out. You'll pay it. And sometimes you can get through insurance. There's yeah, definitely, like, I'd say, a level of urgency there. You're not like, well, yeah. I'm going to wait six months until their hides are a little bit better. It's like, no, <laughs> I probably should get get the coons out of the chimney. So they, they do it. ADC is a, a huge, it really is. I mean, in states have it, Wisconsin has it. Mm-hmm. You know, we have 
trappers for the state that trap all summer remove beavers when they don't have a value. All states have it. Mm. What What have you seen? I guess you know with some of that that value, like when you when you first got started out, or you know, and, and maybe there's been some some ebb and flow to the fur market depending on just where it's at. But like, what have you seen from starting out? until now as far as like the value of fur and and where it's ending up and where you're seeing it and it comes into fashion out of fashion when we first went to a fur buyer at that time probably how i got into it is if you had a a coon for instance and it wasn't many coon then they've populated the, the north a lot since then you went in there and they didn't have a value I mean, we hunted coon. My dad was a coon hunter, but we just, for the carcasses, just to eat them. Okay. Hmm. And, you know, then you hear the rumors that they might be worth something. So you skin one. Can we imagine a skin job? And you took it to a fur bar and you got $3. Do you really have a value? And obviously the money then went a lot farther, all the way into the 70s, where there was guys cooting jobs because the fur was so valuable. You could get a $3 an hour job or go catch a couple $50 coon. Hmm. Oh, 50 yeah. bucks. Yeah. 70. Wow. I remember running routes in the 70s, paying a $70 top, $10 rats. Wow. And I had a brother work on a dairy farm. He was salary for $250 a week, and he, put, and he thought he had a good job. Now, is that because everybody was buying coonskin hats back then? No, there wasn't. It was a... Or whatever. Yeah, the, the, the Davy Crockett. The Davy Crockett craze. No, you know, they, they came out of a, then where the production at that time, you didn't have four-wheelers. Mm-hmm. You didn't have all the access to equipment we have today. So if someone in them days caught 100 cone, that was a big deal. Sure. The biggest production was coming out of the South. So what happened was they had, um, as the coon population grew by the time you got to the late 70s, there was more knowledge. And versus today, where the equipment's 10 times as good, now you have guys catch 100 a day, not 100 a year. Oh. So, you know, and, and it's at that time, coon were, it was still a new thing, where today, with all the ranch for you competing with, mm-hmm. in them days, we had probably a world production of 15 million mink, not 100. Ranch flocks were minimal. Now they're raising by the overseas, you know, there's seven, mil, seven, eight, ten million of them. So there is a lot more com- competition for, gotcha. for trim. So it's not so much that people aren't buying as much fur. It's more produced. It's just that it's produced on ranches. Yeah, and, that okay. they're just more produced. And is when when people are buying for, like, I guess it's primarily, like, garment makers? Is it going into, like, like sort of, quote, luxury goods like coats and pillows and stuff like that or is there any other secret use of furs yeah, that the, the biggest for most of the while for right now the long-haired stuff is trim okay that seems to be the, the big the big market push a muskrat stuff is for liners okay uh, oh. there's a yeah. and the garment articles that have to compete with a ranch maker remember a ranch maker are pretty cheap right now they've dropped a lot in value you know you can go Let's say you could buy, uh, you know, rumors in China, you could buy mink coats for as little as $500, which is a lot easier to sell because they're all the same. It, it hurt the articles like the Sable, the Fisher, the Red Fox, because everybody wants a mink coat. Hmm. Always has, right? Hmm. Mink or king. So every, everything is valued off of that. So 
the wild fur is still going to pay for that huge mink production because the mink went, you know, you go back 10 years or seven years ago, they're averaging $100 a sale. You know, yeah. you got 40 in them. Mm-hmm. And you got these, these ranchers that are basically like a dairy farmer. Okay. They're getting really big and automated. You know, milking parlors produce a lot of milk. And a rancher's basically got automated. And so they was unlimited what they could raise. And if the king, so to speak, like you said, like mink is king, if that one is starting to get to the point where it's relatively inexpensive That's the problem. than all the other ones, everyone looks at, well, if I can get a mink for that, gee, yeah, now it's gonna a- And now it's going to take a lot to change that perception to wild fur, you know, because they've always been looked down as the, as the inferior fur. Mm-hmm. To where it's, it's something different. Like mentally, for me, it's like the reverse. Because to me, it yeah. seems like oh, you've got this, um, you, you know. And I see some of the advantages. Like you said, you, you're raising it. You've got that consistency with the, with the wild fur. You're just not going to have that level of consistency. Like you're trying to make a garment, you probably want it to look similar throughout, right? Right. But also, like kind of like the supply and demand. It's like, well, all of a sudden, it's not rare anymore. It's not. Yeah, everybody always, I mean, you go on to, uh, you look at any other good or art or craft or some sort of luxury item, and it's always like the more one-off you can get, the like right. more valuable it is, yeah. but for whatever reason. It always, well, yeah. if all of a sudden I was able to farm gold, Jim, like, <laughs> I don't think yeah. it would have the value that it does today. You're That's right. right. That's right. right. I'm a big alchemist, by the yeah. way. No, no, no. So it's, <laughs> so it's uh, you know, in a while for when it came to soliciting, obviously their budget was bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, to promoting, it's hard to promote against an article, you know, with that kind of a budget. Oh yeah, so, sure enough. So you're always were in the companies that, like uh, North American Ferocious, that had that big budget because they handle ranch making both. Obviously, we're gonna promote what was making them all the money, which was ranch making. Interesting, huh? You know, and you can take companies overseas like Copenhagen who's the biggest auction house in the world, or was, a, going out of business, that had huge budgets, so everything was ranch make, ranch make, ranch make. Yeah. Everywhere you looked. And till the production came back to, to Honam. Wow. And and so, and then why did that production come back to Honam then? What happened was, as they overproduced it, the price dropped. Oh, okay, sure. sure. Okay, like so it is kind of... went up, producing, stayed, maybe. Producing or... too much milk. Okay. You can do it. You know, and then the price drops. So, yeah, you know, as it raised the value, at the same time the automa- automation came, the pro- uh, production went through the roof. Gotcha. Really quick. I mean, when here in town, and we used to, everybody in town would flesh ranch bank, and it was done by hand. So if you wanted a job, you just went down and flesh ranch bank at a mink rancher, and you could flesh all winter. And you mm-hmm. probably only had 3,000 mink. It was, it was a lot of work to where... It got automated. They were flushing it in two or three seconds. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Wait, seconds. So wait. Had, so there was like people there. were people were no longer flesh, skinning people were no, flesh. No, I mean, no. It's all done by machines. It's all replaced. You mean just like what we do here by hand? We show you when we put up a coyote. That machines to skin the mink for you, flesh it. Machines to stretch it. All you do is hang it, and take it off. Unbelievable! I didn't know that. I just assumed it was all. It's such a um, one machine. Any yeah, time I've skinned something, it's such a delicate, like kind of process. Mm-hmm. And the machine we place 
all the people went down. They're taking over. And at one time, Cambridge was, you know, the whole town was ranch mink. Still got a mink farm tavern. No kidding. Yeah. Now, the golf course, all that, the whole, this area right here was all mink ranches. And that's why you came, how we got in the fur trade, you come here for work. Yeah. Well, and when you're talking about long hair, I guess, versus short, like kind of w- what animals would fall within those classifications? Your long hairs are pretty much all your canines. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your short hair are your beaver, muskrats. Okay. Pine squirrel. We do handle a lot of pine squirrels. They have fur on them, not, not the red squirrel or what we eat, but we, the pine squirrels, you know, the weasels, what have you. But most of our canines are long hair. Okay. What are people using a pine squirrel for? For liners. For liners. Yeah, and they have fur on them, and that's, you know, they're worth a lot, but it's in some parts of Canada, it's a big thing on their trap line. Interesting. They catch, you know, the, they subsidize their trap line with trapping squirrels. There, about that? There ain't a lot to a pine squirrel. There's not a lot to them, no. We got something all this big. Yeah. And Russia produces a lot of pine squirrels. Okay. A lot of pine squirrels in Russia. Big pine squirrel country. Big pine squirrels. <laughs> so as they produce more, ours become, and they can produce. If they all get those, a year where they produce a lot, then ours are worth less. All those Cold War squirrels. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just <laughs> to put something in the water. <laughs> and so I guess coyotes specifically then, because that's kind of what we're talking about yep. today. Where, I guess, where have they been and where are they at now? I know I've seen, uh, actually, I, I was uh, hopeful this was actually a little a little while ago, and I uh, we live in I guess you know kind of like a, a middle class neighborhood, yes. and there's lots of you know yep. people wearing you know outdoor performance clothing, and I saw these uh, these Canada Goose Down parkas showing up, and they had a, a coyote fur ruff on them, Jim, and I said, God bless it, is fur making a comeback? Because I hadn't seen really anything with like a fur ruff, at least personally, oh, in quite a while. And, I mean, that's pretty highfalutin coat. That's an expensive coat, you know. And so I was like, man, that'd be so cool if fur was, you know, becoming more acceptable. Maybe people are getting more educated about it. Maybe it's just it's just in fashion and people want to be fashionable. But I guess where, where have the coyotes been and, and where are they at now? The coyotes that uh, you can go all the way back to this can of goose, but that was in the early 80s. You know, it was Eddie Bauer had them, the collars. Yeah, mm-hmm. And the coyotes seen a boost. And then you've seen some of the Italian designers and Canada goose started putting them on their all-natural parkas, put their goose mm-hmm. down and everything. And they were very successful through promotion. And that raised the coyote price. Okay. Because, you know, just everybody, if, you know, if Canada goose does something good or whatever manufacturer, and you see that at a sale, you go and copy it. Right, everybody wants to do whatever the the whatever is selling, doing. yeah. Whether it's China, obviously with the offshoots. So, the coyotes have been having a big comeback, and everybody's been chasing. The uncertainty right now is Canada goose that you see is no longer handling fur. Gotcha. Oh. So they had something that was very successful, yeah. And for whatever reason, maybe had to do it anti fur. So that's got to have an impact then. Sure. On the coyote price, but will the offshoots be able to pick it up? We're hoping it will. You know, other companies will take that and promote it. Oh, and there gotcha. are companies that overseas that are as popular as Canada Goose. Yeah. But in the U.S., you'll see, a, you'll see it, it, it would hurt the coyote price. 
Interesting. Yeah, I made, uh, when I made that observation, this was a while ago, and then, you know, we'd had on this on the books to do for a while, and then actually it was kind of like coincidental. I was listening to the Meat Eater podcast, longtime listener, and those guys were talking about, you know, that specific brand of parka and how they're essentially going to move towards, now I think they said it wasn't wasn't due to, you know, public pressure, if you will, you know, I guess you can speculate however you want there, but, um, to essentially like kind of like refurbished fur or, or fur that always already exists. So they're not going to necessarily use new fur, but they'll use fur that's already, what they'll do is they'll take, um, old coats. Okay. And make trim out of them, you know? Oh, but not, and, and, but nothing that's fresh harvested. So now there's Nobody understands that one. Yeah, it's um, some a little bit perplexing. I would think, you know, no, yeah, looking at fur like it's a natural organic substance. Like eventually, it's going to break down like any other natural yes. organic substance. So mm-hmm. it's going to have a, a shelf life. I don't. I just don't. It doesn't seem sustainable. Yeah, how do you feel to, going to get your designer clothing? You know, that's very expensive, and it's got refurbished anything on it. Yeah, that's been. And you pay more for it. It's like marketing. That's too. been that's been wore out, and it does wear. You see yeah. any old mink coat? Yeah, uh, yeah. This you, got me bewildered too. You must have to actually keep up on the fashion industry. Oh, you do. You see bit. it. Yeah, you do. You see it at the sales. You you know, you'll know because um, not only are the at a sale, not only are we selling the stuff. Mm-hmm. We also have designers in it, tanners in it, coats on display. Mm-hmm. So you see what's hot and what's not. Okay. You know, you know what's going to be hot for pop y- culture yeah. by before everybody else does. Yeah, and they, a lot of times, um, as long as you'll see some stuff that isn't for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, for it's yeah, it's a little little too young for me. You know. Yeah, the Kanye crowd. Yeah, <laughs> but it sells. You know. <laughs> Someone buys it. Yeah. So, but and <laughs> there's some, does. and there's, but there's some stuff that is um, the only thing, the only drawback is price, and I don't think you can have affordable fur. Hmm. I think there has to be a cost to it. Right. Otherwise, everybody would have it. You know, well, it, sure. It, it, and yeah. also, like I guess you know, you talk about maybe the meat farm where it's like very automated, and and you are able to have like high production with I guess less cost going into it. But you know, you look around. I mean, just take like one coyote for instance or mm-hmm. one beaver the amount of effort that goes into you know trapping or shooting or do, you know however you're you harvest that animal and then you bring it home and then you know you, you you skin it you stretch it you tan it there's a lot of things going on there to get that hide from you know from the animal to a to a garment and that isn't cheap. There's a there's a lot of cost and time and effort that goes into that. There, there's a lot of man hours. You find, you look at raka coyotes, and there's a thousand of them there, and you think, oh, there's probably two thousand hours in that, just or more I that the guess. guys have invested in what's to come. Right. I mean, it could be labor-wise four or five thousand hours in that in them racks by the time it ever hits the shelf. And, wow. And and the and the labor isn't cheap. You're right. And the transporting. Because, mm-hmm. you know, eventually this stuff goes from Wisconsin, for instance, to Italy, China, wherever it's going to go. China is obviously a big taker. You know, okay. Russia. So, it, it, so you got all that expense 
the only time it really gets to the end on the coach there's a lot of money involved right i'm and, sure and maybe that's kind of where we're coming full circle into some of that decline like for a lot of folks probably the, the juice isn't worth the squeeze on that one yeah. you know a lot of effort and not a lot of it is return See, you know that you're always going to have trappers or hunters that are strictly money motivated but the ones that are still there it's not a it's a lifestyle mm-hmm. never going to quit they'll do it you know they're always going to trap or produce for because it's a lifestyle yeah i mean i can think of it even for myself like more of a like a recreational thing like i, yeah. I love doing new things you know i've shot yeah. and skinned a handful of coyotes yeah. um but learning new things and i guess becoming a, a more well-rounded yeah. outdoorsman and, mm-hmm. and trying to learn some of these things that are kind of lost arts if you will mm-hmm. to to even just to keep them alive maybe potentially teach my girls some of this stuff if yeah. they're ever interested in it but um Definitely, like, the, my scale would probably always be, like, more of, like, a recreational yeah. mm-hmm. aspect to where even if I, you know, got, we'll say, 10 hides and, you know, got them to you one day, it'd be like, well, it was a really cool, fun process. I had a ton of fun doing it. I got to be outside, and I, I paid for a tank of gas. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it is. It's, it's a lifestyle, and then it's my recreation. No different than someone goes deer hunting. It's about, right. I mean, being around here, it's about one of the most vintage, classic Wisconsin things you can do. It is. I mean, yeah. this whole state, you look at it and the history of it and all the fur trading and yeah. trapping and all that that's gone on in this it state. It has been. It's been it's uh, extensive. The Wisconsin's always been a hub, you know, from Prairie to Sheen because of the river to, you know, uh, the Hudson Bay. I mean, when they wanted to set up a shop, where to go? Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Yep. And... So it's always been a fur hub, mm-hmm. and you always are going to have, to some ex- some extent, you're always going to have fur trappers. They're not going to go away if they have to sew stuff themselves or do something with it. You know the, um, but the problem's going to be is getting that back to getting the next generation started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for guys like us, because we got to talk about the nuts and bolts of this thing, right? Yes. Mark, so. Guys like us, we're going to go on a coyote hunt. Now, Mark, you've done some of this before, right? Like, very little, but a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've shot plenty of coyotes. I've skinned a few coyotes. Probably not to the... I've, I've mostly uh, flat skinned my coyotes. I, ha- I haven't case skinned, mm-hmm. skinned them before. Um, we we're actually Can you talking... explain just briefly what that means? <laughs> well, Greg could probably do it a lot better, but essentially, you know, going up the belly of the coyote, you know, down the legs, almost like, I guess if, if anybody's ever seen a bear skin rug, it'd be kind of skinned looking yep. like that. And then a case skin would be, um, like what we're surrounded by, like a sock, like a sock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where it's like a more of like a, a tubular nature, all the, the, the belly and the back are all connected and yeah. you kind of peel them, peel them down. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the first coyote I ever shot, actually, this was pretty funny. I mean, talk about small world type stuff. We were talking about this before. We were pre-podcasting earlier As usual. today. I was in college, you know, going to Washington State University over over in Pullman. Shot a coyote in the Snake River Breaks and was like, oh, gosh, dang, I'm stoked on this. I'm going to, you know, skin this thing out. So I went over to my 
my college girlfriend's uh, place at the time. She was living with like five other girls. It was cold out. And it was winter. And so I skinned this thing on the floor of their garage. I shot it so it had a hole in it. So it got blood everywhere on the floor of the garage. So I'm finally done with this thing. And I'm like trying to figure out like, well, how do I, you know, I wanted to <laughs> keep the paws intact. And I didn't really know how to pull the toes out. And I'm like, oh man, I don't want to skin out the head because I don't want to ruin that. And of course I had all this blood over the all over the floor gym. So I went to clean it up and used water, which immediately froze. So then I created this giant bloody, bloody slick ice rink. ice rink all over the floor. Yeah, they were uh, they were super, super impressed by that. But <laughs> so long story short, I end up with this kind of half-skinned coyote. I didn't do the hard parts, if you will. And I took it over to Moscow Hide and Fur. And those guys took it from me. And Greg, who who runs Moscow Hide and Fur? That's my brother. That's Greg's brother. <laughs> small world. Yeah. That is very small world situation. Yeah. That is so wild. But so how, to Jim's question, Greg, how do we do this right? Yeah. You know, there's a, a ton of videos out. Okay. There really is. We did tapes all the way back in, uh, it was in the late 80s, early 90s. I did a full set of tapes for the Wisconsin Trap Association. And it was species-specific, so if you just want to do a coyote, they're really reasonable. You can buy the tape. Okay. You want to do a red fox, you can buy the tape, red fox and gray fox. Done based, you know, muskrats and mink. So we had it all broke down. Mm -hmm. And they were, at that time, for the tools we had, it was pretty informative. Obviously, the tools have advanced. Okay. Lots of stuff has. That was still by hand, but we did it by hand, just like you were going to do it in a garage. Okay. And we sold... Tens and tens and tens and thousands of them. I mean, wow. all over the United States. You go to Canada, I've been in remote parts of Canada, and I got your tape. Awesome. Nice. So there, that was informative was out there. It's never really been updated. There's a lot of stuff on, on YouTubes and computer you can, you can get. Yeah. We'll but be again, one of them after we do a, a few but, things with you after a yeah. podcast. But. but watching and doing is a little different. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I can go to a trapper's convention. You can have 300 people there watching you. You know, and they say, you make that look easy. I tried that. Yeah. But not long enough. Mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. you, you tried it and quit. It's like doing anything. It's like shooting. Mm -hmm. You just got to keep doing it. When you get good, keep, keep shooting. You'll mm -hmm. get better. And the other problem is to have the place, like you said. You got to have the facility to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And today... You know, we have a lot of heated garages. You got places, heated workshops where the back of the garage is heated. So there is a lot of places to to do it, but not if you're running an apartment or running a place, you know. Mm -hmm. There are, but that the biggest drawback is the equipment isn't terribly expensive if you compare it to other stuff. Okay. But the biggest, you know, for a couple of dollars, you're set to go. Biggest problem is place. You know, especially if you're young and you want to get into it, your mom don't. Our, our parents didn't trap. But we had places to do it because we lived on a farm. It's always something he did enough to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And is that just for, I'd imagine, your personal comfort, but it's probably you need the animal to not be frozen, I imagine. Yeah. yeah? Thought out, you know, and, you know, we did it. Yeah, you know, most of the stuff you're going to bring, you're going to trap or shoot, you're probably going to do thought I'd like to cool it overnight, just like skinning a deer. Some guys like to do everything fresh. I personally don't. And, and you know, and it's not going to spoil if your first shed 60 degrees. Okay. It's on the floor. It's not going to spoil overnight. It doesn't rot that fast. 
Okay. It takes a while. Do they still, so the coyotes that I've done, I guess I've done them both ways. Mm -hmm. I've done them when they're warm and I've done them when they're cold and, and maybe even a little bit too cold, but the warmer one definitely peeled a lot easier. Is there a difference even if like between, I guess like I'll call it like a fresh coyote, like one that you just mm -hmm. killed and you're going to peel it down or one that you have in your shed at 60 degrees? Yeah, the, the easiest one to scan is, is probably the fresh one. Okay. But also bleeds them all. Okay. I like to let Got them, it. it's just like fresh, it's just like cutting up a deer. Sure. I like to let everything set up. That blood kind of coagulates yeah. a little bit. Okay. Otherwise, it seems like, you know, you know, coyote, they never stop bleeding, like you said, they, you know. And so I, I prefer my stuff not fresh. Okay. okay. And so what's like, um, I mean, generally speaking, obviously, it's difficult to go through the process like step by step for a podcast. And we'll do that when we do the video after this. But I mean, what generally do you have to accomplish just in terms of steps? I mean, first things first, you got to skin it. But then, I mean, like some of these ones that you see around here, they look like they're flipped inside out. And then there's yeah. like these boards that you sort of, I think that's where you maybe stretch them. Or, yeah, I mean, what's, what, you, but you do what all happens. Once you get it skinned, you get the hide off it. The next process is you have to flip it inside out and take the bird and the weed seeds out. Got to be clean to some extent. If there's bloody, you got to get that washed out. Because okay. anytime you get blood in, in fur, it has a tendency to spoil. Hmm. For spoilage, blood's going to be your biggest enemy okay. on the inside of the coyote or on the outside. After that, uh, then you have to flip it back inside and put it on a beam, and you have to get it flushed. And that means removing the membrane, the fat, anything that would help, that's going to make it spoil. And then after that, you need to put it on a board. Um, and you, we do it two ways. First, you put it in f with the fur on the inside, leathers on the outside, and then that'll dry mm -hmm. to the touch. And then you'll flip it back inside out and put it on the board fur side out. Okay. And you'll leave it on that, you know, tack it back. I'll leave it on the board for a couple days and then take it out and hang it and let it finish air drying. Because most of the boards that people have are not really drying boards. They're forms. Okay. You're mm -hmm. never going to dry 100% on that board. Okay. It's basically to get it to hold its shape. So if you do hang it, it'll keep its shape. Hmm. Okay. Because it, it's just not going to dry 100% against wood. It makes sense, yeah. How are you... Um like let's say you've got some some blood in the fur. How are you, how are you? Is it just putting that in a five gallon bucket of water? Yeah. How does a person get that cleaned you up? You can take it to the sink if wife ain't home. Do it right in the kitchen sink. Okay, real quick, <laughs> clean up afterwards. Spray a little Febreze. I know guys. <laughs> I know guys taking a laundry mat already. Um, the other thing you can do is just five gallon pail. Okay. It'll also come out, and I can show you if it's just surface blood. You can take it out after it's dried. Okay. Sure. Hmm. There's reels easy to do it. Um, and then when it comes to a, a place like this, to an auction house, whatever, and get commercially drummed, most of the drumming will take that blood out. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think I saw some of those yeah, in drumming. the other room. I definitely yeah. want to take yeah. a look at that. What is what is it now, drum? It's a commercial cleaner. Oh, okay. Got yeah. it. And what we use is um, for cleaning is it, uh, we use a laundry soap. Dawn works the best. Dawn just soap. And a fabric softener. Okay. We don't use chemicals. You know, you don't need, I mean, you'll hear guys using mineral spirits, and they used to use uh, gas, uh, diesel fuel, and 
Oh, yeah. We've seen them use it all, and that works the best by far. Well, people used to try and detail and clean cars with gas and diesel. Yeah. I think that ended up being a pretty bad idea in the yeah. long run. <laughs> give, give you a headache. No, no. No. Some people really enjoyed that. And any other thing they did, the guys will use a lot of borax. Okay. Yeah. Auction houses hate it. It's a powdered bleach. Okay. And it burns your skin and you get people allergic. You know, you, you, know, you get it in there and try to work with the lights and it's all part. Nobody wants to breathe powdered bleach all day. I no. don't think so. And me either. So we had, that's why they got the mask on. Every time we had borax, they put the mask on. Oy. And in some parts of the country, borax is a huge... Guys use a lot of it. And Interesting. You get it, you get it in there and wear a mask. And so we've had... We're ready for COVID. <laughs> You've been doing this for years. Yeah, the whole mask thing. Bleach don't kill us COVID well, I guess. <laughs> that's probably why you guys' lungs got to be pretty clean if you're just yeah. bringing all that bleach. When it's good, and I've had guys get sick from it. Sure. Sick Mark, I was, guarantee you that us, our hands would be oh, toast. We'd be, they'd fall off immediately. Yep. With the um, with the, the you know the Dawn dish soap and the fabric softener, I guess one thing that's cool about that is those are pretty common items to find at a grocery night. store. Common. People are, are used to them, and that's and that's what a person would maybe even use like. I'm, I'm thinking small scale here, Jim. We're pretty small scale right yeah. now. Yeah, so yeah, we're definitely we're not, not going to match this. Uh, <laughs> but you could you would just put that in your five gallon bucket and just kind of rinse it and work it no, around I, a little bit, or no? No, what it, we mix it with a uh, a corn cob. Okay, so this is it. during the tumbling process, yeah. then. And the corn cob that we use actually is comes out of Iowa. It's made for sandblasting log homes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's a byproduct of that, and um, and we mix it with that, so it's not it's. It's not even damp. It's in it, but the corn cob does the does okay. the cleaning. Hmm. Okay. If you're gonna clean it at home, um, we'll show you. You can do it after you take it off. After it's all stretched and dried, you can comb that in with a comb. Okay. And get the same effect that we do. Okay. Hmm. Gotcha. I, so it's not like you not like washing like you do in your washing machine where there's no. a lot of water involved. It's like almost like a dry cleaning. The more you wash, the more time it takes. You're not, and there's a point where you're not really going anywhere. Yeah, I think that shows how durable fur really is, oh. though. I mean, you're using you're using a media that's literally used for sandblasting log cabins. Yeah, yeah. And the fur is like, oh yeah, this is making it better. Yeah. I mean, every time I always think about it, it's like. When you shoot a deer, when you shoot a, uh, I have yet to shoot a coyote. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully that works, but I got to see the dang thing first. <laughs> anyway, um, but when you shoot a deer, when you shoot an animal or something like that, or a jackrabbit or whatever, and you look at it, and they always look so nice, but then you've been like getting cut up and tangled up and beat up, getting to wherever that is that they live, and you're like, how does this thing stay looking yeah, so exactly. nice? Yeah, the, yeah. You, your shirt sleeves ripped off, and you're like, oh, you just yeah. still covered in fur. <laughs> Very impressive. What tool, like, what tools does a person need? Like, as far as like any special, any special knives no, to start the, with. Most of the knives you probably have, okay. you really do. I mean, there's some oh, yeah. specialty knives if you want. If you want to, you can buy them, and they're seven dollar knives. Okay. You don't need a. I've had hundred and fifty dollar skin knives given to me, and I still don't use them. <laughs> 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 you know, the more you spend, the harder they are to sharpen. Yeah. Okay. And most of them are not real good with bones, which we have a tendency to come in contact with skinning. And then you need a fleshing knife, and you can buy the best fleshing knife on the market for about 80 bucks. Okay. And after Got that, it. most of that stuff you're going to have. Got it. If you've been, I mean, you'll have, you know, then you have to buy some boards, $5 boards, depending upon how big, you know, how much you're going to do or make your own if you're. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, buy one and copy it and make your own. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Mike Valley, the old catfish Mike in yeah. Brady Sheen said the same thing about knives. He likes to use the cheap ones because they're easier to sharpen. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he does. And you'll see that in commercial, yeah. Yeah, because then otherwise you get those fancier, super hard steels, and they just don't like. No, I, you, when they're sharp, it, they're sharp. Yeah, at one hundred and fifty dollar knife, then uh, I had to get a hundred hundred dollar sharpener to sharpen it. And <laughs> pretty soon, it's like you know, I could for one hundred fifty bucks, I could buy a box full of these things, and they work fine. <laughs> that's a vicious cycle. That it is. What? So, well, that's cool. I mean, that's a really that's that's encouraging, right? You, you know, don't need expensive knives. No, it's mm-hmm. a bad, no. Giant investment on that, and and then the, uh, you know, a fleshing knife. I've seen people do, uh, I guess, beavers, for example. Mm-hmm. Maybe a coyote is the same or different, where you get it on on the board like we have yep. over there, and it's uh, almost like a, almost like a draw knife. I it's guess, a, or just something like, like that? it's a double-edged draw knife. Okay, is that the same for a coyote? Same. If one knife does everything. Okay. You know, actually, the first ones we did didn't have double edges. We used uh, the draw knife, sharpen it all one. And then uh, they came out with a, uh, all our fleshing knives are a byproduct of something else. Just most of them were never made to flesh hides. Then they had the Sheffields came out of London, and they were used for scraping the hair off of deer hides. Oh, okay. When they, when they tanned them. Mm-hmm. The knife that's the most common in the U.S. is that most of those are used at the tanner for plucking be- uh, beaver. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because you know when you tan a beer, there's they call it shearing, but and it also pluck them. That's where they came from, okay. and then they got adapted into the fur trade. Otherwise, it was all homemade stuff. Interesting. And you said, just to clarify for myself, sure. maybe some other people, you were talking about a, a single edge or a double edge. Yeah, there's- the fleshing knives uh, they now are all double edged. You have a sharp side, dull side. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, always the back of any animal is harder to flesh than the belly side. Hmm. Oh. Belly side, you can do it with the dull side, but the back where they're exposed to the in mother nature and, and, yeah. and everything, that's where the, the more muscle is in there, you have to cut it off. Gotcha, gotcha. So you almost want to be a little bit more delicate uh, using yeah. the dull side on the belly section. Yes. And then you can, you know, need a little bit more oomph on the on the back side. And the skin is thicker on the back, just okay. from fighting, and you know they've adapted through through time too. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. You know, when something in animals get attacked, or even you think about like your your dog or cat at home, even like that that's that soft underbelly. You know, it I mean, is. It's, it's I mean, a more sensitive area. They wanna everything. Uh, you know, if they're gonna eat something, they flip it over and start where it's the, t- the thinnest. The leather's the thinnest, and that's usually the belly. Interesting. Uh, so. Hmm. It also rips the easiest. Yeah. It, right. And hence using probably the, the dull knife there. So when you're doing when you're doing a coyote, maybe walk us through and and we'll do, we'll pro- we might do some redundant things here. There might be some redundancy between yeah. the podcast and the video. Right. But like w- what's that process look like if you're trying to put up like I said, I flat skinned those mm. other coyotes that I did. Yep. But that's probably that's is that how you want them, or no. you you, yeah. you want them case skinned? Yeah, everything today is the only article that's flat skinned today is a beaver. Okay. Everything else is case skinned, mm-hmm. and it usually starts you down the floor. They hang it up. Okay. You know, you'd have a hook on the camera from the ceiling, and you'd just start it and pull it down. Today, it's the same thing, only it's automated. Okay. You know, we um, for if you got want to for a couple hundred dollars, you put yourself a skinning machine together. Especially doing coyotes, 
and coon and stuff and and do it the easy way and they also skin deer <laughs> so interesting you know it's it's yeah you can use it for if you can't make it yourself or do it i've seen machines that work really good at trappers conventions as well as 400 dollars. oh wow so what would what would be the difference there be like because I was thinking, you're like, oh, you know, like a gambler, like, you know, if you're a deer hunter, like you probably yep. have one of those at your house, right? Going. Yep. So you could hang, hang your coyote on that. So if you're going to, if you're going to not go through the process of maybe getting that machine, what would that look like if you were just going to hang it up and do it yourself with knives? And You cut it and start pulling. It's a little more, it's time consuming. Okay. Bigger you are, the easier it is. And then uh, once you open it, you can physically pull it off. Mm-hmm. I've seen guys that can do it, but they, uh, you know, they're. For me, it wouldn't work, and um, and then it's you got to keep cutting as you go. Gotcha. Sure. And, and then yeah, whatever connective tissue you're getting hung up. On. That's why the guys like if the hands can, they like doing them warm because they, you can pull and it'll give a little bit easier. Okay, gotcha. But you're gonna have a but you're gonna have more blood going with it. Okay. Especially if they're shot. Right. Yeah. Right. So and then I'm not sure. I don't think we have one here right with us right now. But so what what is the what does this machine look like? What does this mach- skinning machine look like? I mean, it can't be like super crazy robust if it's four hundred dollars. No. Like, what what's it look like? It's what's just, it doing? It's, it's basically just a frame, and it's got uh, your your gamrels on a on a winch. Okay. So it winds it up just like a winch, kind of like the winch in a, on a four wheeler, and um, and you attach it. Some guys attach to the floor. You can have it freestanding attached to. A, the frame of the machine. Mm-hmm. Most of them use a pair of vice grips. So once you open it, you put both legs in it, mm-hmm. the, the hind legs, and then it basically just pulls it apart. Okay. It just, uh, you know, the, usually the carcass goes up and the, leaves the skin on the floor. And then does that do, that does the head and everything? No, right down to the nose, yeah. So it'll do it, all of it, yeah. So it's got to be tall. It's got to, for doing coyotes, it's probably got to be 13 feet. Probably won't work in your garage, but you can double hook it. You can take it halfway, and then you take the vise and then rehook it halfway through the machine. Oh right, okay, got it. Just double do it, yeah. Gotcha. Huh? What um? I'm slipping down, slipping, Jim. I'm using the word actually. I'm I uh, I was reading it and thinking it down. I was slipping down my list here, my list of bullet points here. But also, you hear about hair slippage. And that seems like something you want to be oh, it's careful common. of. It's, it's common. And hair slip is just spoiling. Okay. I was going to say, what causes that? You know, the, you see all the pictures that, of people with fur in their truck. And usually what it is is a coyote would be, you, you didn't air it out like a deer. Mm-hmm. You have a tendency to, uh, especially if you gut shoot it. Anybody been eating venison mm-hmm. or you got a belly full of meat, that's going to, been in the belly a long time, so it's broke down. When that hits the leather part, it's real acidy, and it has a tendency to spoil faster. Okay. So it, the rule of thumb is you always want to hang them by the hind feet. Okay. Or lay them on their back, even with a coon or any article. But it's always nice to lay them in a truck on their belly because then you can see the back, right? Right. Yeah. But the belly is where is the problem. That's why they spoil. All spoilage starts around the belly. So you always want to lay them in a truck on the back. That's a good tip. Yeah. And I know you can't see the fur, but you're not going to smell it either. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, because uh, especially with the black, you know, your black bed liners and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you take that, you take a 20-pound cone or whatever, and you put all that pressure on it. It's just like 
forcing that heat into that belly. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do is take that and leave it always belly side up. Yeah. And and let it air out. Most spoilage is neglect. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the and way I it did, is and a I, lot of things. Yeah, and I and I'll show you. You know, it's a trap coyote. You know that you can handle. You can be a little handle a little different. You know, you have a little more time. You know, it's just gonna you could set it outside and do it in a couple of days if it's in a cold. A shot coyote. You, sometimes you can't. If you don't have a, if you're gonna skin it, you don't have a place to store it. It's not gonna freeze. Then you're gonna have to skin it fresh. Okay. Yeah, but do, and they will spoil overnight. Yeah, if I took a shot coyote shot shotgun and laid it in here, and he bought it in now, and I was going to wait, and I skinned it tomorrow morning, chances are it's going to start deteriorating. Be, okay. Yeah. If a person was in a pinch, and they didn't have time, but they did want to skin a coyote, something like that, and let's say they had a freezer and they had the room, could you freeze it, sure. freeze it whole, and then work on it later? You could. You'd throw it in there, um, throw it in your freezer, and you could freeze it. Mm-hmm. Thaw it out slow. Mm-hmm. And again, backs up, what about, belly up. What about, you know, speaking of freezing, are there some things that a person wants to be careful of? Like maybe you're out calling coyotes or you've been trapping and you're like, oh, I got one. Sweet. And you throw it, you know, it's a cold day. You throw it in the bed of the truck. Like yep. are, are there some things you need to be careful of there as well? The main thing is make sure you put it in the bed of the truck, the belly's up so it starts airing out right away. Mm-hmm. Especially that shot because remember, shot coyotes deteriorate faster. Mm-hmm. Now, if you get home, you don't want to do it right away. And if, especially if it's outside now, it's cold enough. But let's say it gets it's thirty degrees out or thirty five. You mm-hmm. if you hang it upside down and cool it down for you, put it in a freezer. Mm-hmm. You'll save yourself some grace period. Some gotcha. Time. And then probably also like I've heard some people when they throw it in there, if the bed's wet or something, then they they can get like the fur will get frozen to the bed, yeah. and then when you try that, to pick it up, that'll rip it off. Yeah, time to get out the hot water. I in the back of my truck when it's cold, I put cardboard down. Okay. Sure. So sometimes, yeah, I got to bring cardboard and all in, but at least it's, you know, cardboard, you get boxes anywhere. Or right. Whatever, and I always have cardboard down. Yeah. And it soaks up the blood if it does. And then mm-hmm. I take bring the whole works out and start over again. I know. I I mean, I, what made me think of that, Jim, is exactly what you're talking about there. I even, I had a deer in my truck this fall, right? And it was cold out and it froze and there's there's a little wet and a little bit of blood. And, you know, I basically had to uh, pry it, you know, yep, well, off. It, off the bed liner, which I wasn't worried about the hide. I was just nope. going to euro mount it. So I wasn't that worried about it, but yep. I was like, man, if you're trying to save that hide, you'd have a problem. You'd have a big problem. Do you think that had anything to do with the fact that that deer was in the back of your truck for like maybe a month? I know, Jim, that, well, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> it was, uh, it wasn't right. the whole body, it was just the head. Oh, oh, oh yeah, because oh, I, was, head. I oh, kept trying to meet up with the CWD guys to I've get had, it tested. No, not oh. the whole body, Mark. You're quicker than that. I was gonna say. I've had, no, I've had that happen. Yeah. <laughs> but very interesting. And then yeah, so, and we talked a little bit, bit about uh, cleaning. Is there anything uh, that you'd want to maybe have with you to put? Put put the hide in, or, or as far as you know, the carcass itself. Like, is there? Would you you know, burlap bag, plastic bag, things you want to no, avoid I, there? Like, you know, maybe know you don't want to get blood all over your truck. No, the, the, the biggest the biggest thing is um, I, I don't use bags when I'm trapping or hunting or whatever. The biggest thing is if you do have toppers, mm-hmm. and it's you know the sun heats them up pretty fast with that black liner. Slide the windows open. Okay, air makes it sense. Out, air it out. Yeah, you ever open? Everybody's that you open up a truck and that sun beating in there. 
It's Even on a cold day, it can be warm. It is, and I looked at guys bringing them in here, and it's like, what smells? Well, it's been sun's been beating on it for well, a couple of days. It's cold out though. Get not in your top or day. Right. Your, open your window up. Boy, that yeah, that doesn't seem like that'd be a pleasant surprise. It treat them like a deer. Yeah. What about you know we're talking about fur? What about grading? Like grading, sizing, I mean, you know, all, all this wild fur here, they're all shapes and sizes. You know, yep. one coyote might be, you know, a, a year old. Another one might be four years old. I'm sure there's a size difference there. Like, how does that play into, you know, I guess the value of the hide as well as, like, when you're grading hides, when I was on your website, actually, there's a ton of great information on your website, by the way. So, uh, whatever we don't cover here, some of it might be the same. Go check that out. But... I mean, there was all there was a million different designations that you guys had. All these different abbreviations. And every article we call it has its own size pack that we use. So we do it on boards. Beaver, obviously, you got to do a tape measure. And coyotes can't uh, fur out stuff is size the most lenient. For instance, coyotes, there's large enough, big ones and small ones. Do we size them all? No. Do you know? And I got some. I'll show you. There, it's the pups are almost the same size as the old ones. We do occasionally, in some sections, we'll take out what we call three extra. So we will make just a, like a jumbo. Okay. Hmm. Other article, like a muskrat, you're down a quarter of an inch. You know, it's either on the line or it's not. Okay. So you you got to watch your sizes. Cooner the same way. You know, you could be an eighth of an inch away from $10. You have to draw the line somewhere. You know? Right. And a buyer sees it, that buys it from us, he goes, see the line? And I've had him do it. Yeah? Is that under or over the line? Well, it's under, just by a little bit. Then why have a line? Either it's over or under. You're correct. Then you're going to, so the, use, let's say you use a 29 to 32 inch line. Mm-hmm. So you're going to use, well, that's not then. You're going to use 28 and a half, 28 and 7 eighths. What is it? So you have to be, because you're dealing with customers from, you know, it's either 29 or it ain't. Just a little bit, pretty black and white there. Black and white. Sure. And a lot of articles are that tight. Canines, red fox, coyotes, cat, which you get a lot of variants in different widths. Is and then the rule of thumb is, let's say on a um, on a cone, for instance, you, a eight inch stretch is standard, mm-hmm. and you stretch at nine, okay, all the way up the side. Then we add on an inch and a half. Okay. Used to do it for mink that way. It'd be length. Oh. Plus width. Hmm. We don't do that. We just add it on because you're wider than everybody else. And so it's kind of square inches and and length. Mm-hmm. And then what about I guess the different the different qualities? You know, maybe some a hide that was very well taken care of versus one that's still usable but not as good. With younger graders trying to train someone, they all start grading put up. You would, too. You're going to grade the nicest handles stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to grade how it's going to dress. Okay. Oh, so you have to not only just see what it looks like right now, but what it will look like After once it's completely tanned. Tanned. Okay. Okay. So you can have guys with really nice stuff, really good quality, and I got some that didn't do the best handling job. Okay. Maybe it's stretched gooey, and it's flesh. It's going to tan. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's going to stay there. Where it should be, like it's going to tan, because once it's tan, nobody's going to see it. But, or let's say you had the worst coyote in the world, it's handled really nice, it's still a really bad coyote. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. 
Okay. okay. Yeah, the worst coyote that's not handled nice, it's still a really nice coyote. And I tell you, most of the time, it's a trapper that's starting out. Okay. And we make little notes on the bottom of the, when we send them back, the receipt, mm-hmm. or whatever, we make a note on it. Okay. Give them a little report card. We give them a little report card. <laughs> so you got if it. it's, But we get it in that's completely, completely trashed, really bad. So mm-hmm. then we return. Okay. I just got one with a letter. It's not condemning you. Everybody gets an A for effort. But where you need to go, mm-hmm. uh, you need to, so it's marketable. Mm-hmm. I can't market something that's gonna not going to dress. Sure. Gotcha. You know, and there's a lot of information out there. And, and then I've had guys, and then the next year they send in, and I don't know, they're, it'll be immaculate. Hmm. You know, they just uh, found out they got doing it. Sure. Or you'll see guys that will have that in their badge. But you could see as the season progressed, boy, they got better, better, better. Then we don't have to call them because you could see the end product. Interesting. Yeah, pretty good. Nice. Interesting. So if you start off with a really good coyote, you're in you're in at least a good spot. Always, yeah. Because even if you even if you flub a, a little bit here and there, it's still okay. Yeah. If you've got a bad one, then you just gotta. A lot of guys will start with, uh, you know, I, I and you know a lot of guys started and I this year just because they, they want to start trapping, so they'll trap earlier like on coon than they should to practice. Oh. And you'll see they'll have like four or five really early ones that you can see they practice and then they waited and all of a sudden. And you'll see some holes in them. They wreck them, and, mm-hmm. you know. But you can see them progress. If you know? get a hole in one, is it is it like no done? No, you Done's know that the the knife cut to me isn't as serious as environmental stuff. Oh, okay. Because where there's a big rub, because that's got to get cut out. There's a lot of work in that. They cut it like a football. It's a big process. Mm-hmm. A cut, you can just sew it up. Mm-hmm. You know, or cut it. It doesn't. Oh, okay. So it's not a huge deal if you just nick. Oh, I bet. Nick something that bad, and then you know, two inch cut, and you think they're the house fell in. It's like you know, we're not going to throw it out. I don't really care. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you know. Good to know. So, what types of things would be stuff that you want to? You're talking about environmental stuff. There is that just kind of good getting back to like oh, it spoiled a little bit, or what types of no, things do you really want to avoid? Itself and how the coyote. Yeah, it's work. environmental is usually what we call environmental is usually the burdocks and stuff that get really embedded. You can't get them out. Okay. And and parasites, fleas, ticks, and it just tears them up. Gotcha. So that's not the fault of nobody, you know, the hunter that's, or the trapper. No, that's or? the coyote. No, it's just. Years when we don't actually go in Appalachia, we didn't get that deep frost to really hurt the parasites. And well, we have two or three years like that. You'll see the coyotes starting in October. I've had got them in October that were full of parasites that didn't pay the skin. You know, the whole back is gone. Hmm. And you'll get coyotes. We call them city coyotes. <laughs> and the backs will be perfect this time of year. Yeah. The reason we call them city coyotes is because they. They've done trap close to towns and golf courses, but they spray for all the parasites. People do their own. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And them coyotes going out, they don't have Just living the the plush life. They don't have, and they get all the free food. Those are the uh, neighbors, all the free cats. So they don't have have, um, the parasites that they would down in the marsh. Sure. Is there anything that you got to look out for when you're skinning these things and doing all that, just as far as parasites go or something? Like if you nick your finger with a knife and then you're working on a coyote and there's blood there, like 
you know, you run into some stuff, maybe that you should. Yeah, you know, I think it's up to the individual. I probably uh, should have had everything. I don't, you know, and I never, doctor tells me I'm immune to about everything. If you tested my blood, you, wow. Just so, Fort Knox. <laughs> just because, you know, and um, it's some people I've worked with, they can poke themselves with a pin and if finger swells up that big around. Mm-hmm. You know, we usually, I usually wear a rubber glove. It's not to, for the, to protect the disease or any of that because you're going to touch it. You're going to come in contact with it. Mm-hmm. Rubber gloves are, are just a false. They, they don't work other than keeping your hands clean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If I cut myself, I wear, I wear them. Um, everybody's going to poke or cut themselves. I still think it, the, the one, you're going to have more of a chance of getting any of that stuff in the field the minute you walk over and pick it up. Sure. Then you are by the time you get it home. And I, the other thing, I don't like skin stuff with the body temperature in it because most of your diseases are in the blood. Mm-hmm. Once okay. the blood, for the most, once the blood temperature is gone, parasites go with it. Not in all cases, but 90 most of them. The other one is if they got, you know, if it's full of fleas and ticks, you don't let just you got flea and tick spray, yard guard, you spray it down. Oop, okay. I do it on my truck. You know, you get done, throw a coyote in it or whatever you got, and I just spray it and move on. Is there advantages to just, you know, you're talking about, you know, fleas and ticks, and obviously once it's dead, right, that mm-hmm. carcass is going to start to cool down. They Those all things, come up. <laughs> they all come up. So, yeah, I mean, is is there, I guess, is there another advantage to kind of letting it set overnight? Like, let's say you just even let yeah. it set outside overnight. Sure. I, mean, I imagine some all of those the, things are going to leave. And that's why a lot of guys do it. You'll see them because of parasites. Yeah. They die and they jump off. Yeah, they don't want to be. Mine jump, mine, I, but I do. I, I like spraying them. I, they don't affect that. Most of the fleas and stuff that are on animals aren't going to stay on you because our skin's too oily. Oh, okay. I didn't realize like, that. Yeah, like you'll get uh, fleas off a coon, you'll scratch and stuff. You know, you can feel them, you see them but they're not going to stay on you. Huh. Well, I didn't. I always wondered that. That's good like, news. Yeah, your skin's too oily. Or... Yeah, your skin's too oily. They don't. They're not. You're not suited for them, so they're even going to leave you. Well, and I suppose even just, yeah, you got oily and you just don't have the, the hair to live in, by and large. I'm just going to coat myself in oil. <laughs> the, 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 beard, the beard's going, Jim. Yeah. Well, the less hair, the better. But, yeah, most of the, the only one that can affect you is if they have the mange. Okay. Oh. And that's also a parasite. Right. And I did, I've shot a mangy coyote before, and it's, I mean, number one, just jarring the the way they look i mean I, th- that was w- one animal that i've shot that i was like wow i did i think i did you a service you like it, it, it was yeah. rough and there are different stages what a you know the, the mange before the, all the hair just completely falls off they'll have a it almost looked like it's um got a, a million burdocks in it that are embedded in it okay mm. and i've had them guys bring them but if you take those and you feel them, oh, they're also mad and cut them open It'll just be full of parasites. Oh my gosh! That's, oh. that's how they live. And when they go through the brush, I think they'll live 15 minutes off the coyote. They told me this has been 40 years ago too. You can pick it up. It's not common for people to get, but I've known people that have. No kidding. Yeah. And then they go to the dock. I mean, how does I don't even. Oh, know. you get a, you get a little irritated. Oh, you had a little touch of the mane. You've been skinning fox. Yeah. Oh, it'll we'll go away. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it does. <laughs> But uh, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. I just don't like bugs. Jim, I'm not. Sucks. I'm not going to be in Monday. I got a touch of the mange. 
<laughs> yeah, there you go. I got, yeah, where? <laughs> Unbelievable. Wow. I, yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought that far. But, but most of us, it, it will never affect you. They won't stay on you. Okay. That's and probably right. best practice there, if you shoot a real mangy coyote, just probably just leave it lay? Yep, I do. Yeah. Drag it, weeds done. I mean, it's not, you know, I've been around lots of, in my life, how many mangy ones I've, and I personally only know one person that ever got it. Okay. Okay. North. And he was, um, it, which was really weird. He didn't even know he had it. You know, just hmm. a rash, and his, he was in the 80s. So he, when he yeah. went in for a checkup, and he just got the main drone. Okay. Well, as many as you've been around, I like those odds. Generally, I, I say, say I like so, those yeah. odds when, like, it's going to be, like, the odds are in your favor. But I guess, yeah, I like the odds of it not being in my favor of contracting mange. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've, I've, I'm not. I mean, guys that I've known that Sean didn't know what it was and dragged him around, put him in a car and did everything, you know, they, they've never gotten anything. That's that's come, you go, if you ever, if you ever do, let me know. They don't want to touch it either, but yeah. Well, you did. You threw it in there. Too late. No. All these. Uh, I'm kind of switching gears here, going back and forth a little bit, Jim. But all these hides that we have here, you know, I mean, they they've gone through a lot of steps in the process. Now, at the point where they are right now, like their their skin stretched, yep. dried, are they headed to the tannery then? No. What they'll do is eventually first. When we're done, they'll get clean, and then they're going to get graded. Oh, so these haven't even been graded yet? No, they're just coming in and off the bench. So we'll have uh, 80,000 coyotes or whatever. And they all get graded according to the sections, you know, east, west, south. You know, the coyotes got a big range, right, from northern Canada all the way to Florida. Okay. Yep. So, and east to west. So you got a, a terrible mixture of coyotes. So what you want, the manufacturer wants, is match bundles. Okay. The fur is the same length. Color is the same. Makes they're either sense. damaged or they're not damaged, you know, so you want some matched. And once they're matched, then what we do is let's say there's 500 of them that are all the same. We'll pull a sample of six, six or eight. And when you come to a sale, because you don't have time to look at all this stuff, there's 3,000 samples, you'd be at it. We'd have to, you'd live up there. So... You just look at them six or eight, and that would represent five hundred. It could represent a thousand. Some are because they're at twenty thousand. Okay. And you look okay. at at those eight, and then whether or not you trust that eight is on the company's. How much you trust the company? Okay, a little reputation sure. involved there, then. Okay, right, guys, don't even look at my samples. You did it again now. They're the same as last time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do, I mean, they've been looking at my samples for thirty years. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, you know. We'll call you if something comes up. And now, are they are the same or the better? Actually, the better, you know, they're, or they're worse. And sometimes, I remember some years, yeah, better look at the samples. Okay. You didn't seem kind of that. They're, they're just not as good this year. Gotcha. Or they're really good. You don't have to look at them this time. Hmm. Okay. And so that, at that point, that person is the person who will, I guess, essentially bid on these hides at yep, auction? Yeah, so then what they'll do is, is they will get a, uh, you'll go through, you get a catalog, and every lot is in it mm-hmm. of all the species. And it's a book, and you think, there's a lot of stuff in there. And um, it'll have, on that, it'll have all this, this, this description of the goods. And then you can write down what you think it's worth, in which you'd have your records from the last couple sales. And then after that, you go into a room. And it's kind of, I don't know, if you've never been to one, I always tell them it's kind of like a stock market, a live one. And then... 
it's on a board and you have a live auctioneer. And you have spotters and everything else and then you it's a then you bid. Okay. Sit in there with your numbers and if you go on like Sagas and stuff I'll give you they got a really good picture of their auction hall. So I think there's some on our website. And then you can see uh, you know, they sit in there and you know, these people are guys that come by and most of them are very well dressed. So okay. they'll go out they're not gonna go out and handle a bunch of greasy cool and flop around you know mm-hmm. and we also give them what we call helpers so if you want them they'll bring them to the bench for you so you tell them what you want to see and they bring them and take them off you can look at them most of them just look at them oh, they don't touch them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then that person yeah. is the uh God, i'm trying to i'm trying to get this process down in my head but like would that be would that person be a person from a tannery and then there's a next step that goes to the the garment industry, or is it a person from the garment industry that's bidding? Yeah, he's, he's probably got a, a shop that he's making uh, garments, trim, whatever else. So he's buying them. Okay. Okay. And then he would send them to his personal favorite, his tanner. Okay. Yeah. Okay. To get tanned and then to return them. Some of them are, uh, might be a broker, and he might have, let's say, I'm going to a sale. And you run a little shop, you make some hats. You got you make like a couple hundred hats a year and stuff. And you make some blankets, which is a huge business in a blanket business. So you're gonna do all this and you're going, Geez, I don't really have to pay the goal. You know what I mean? So I'm just gonna call Greg, he's a broker. So he takes all the little orders and mm-hmm. he'll come and fill everybody's order. And obviously if I buy you stuff and you're always happy with it, you keep calling me because Yeah. You know, that's my go-to guy. And then, then there's some they'll buy for that are big. They don't want to, you know, they run big shops, don't have the time to go. Don't mm-hmm. want to do it. So they'll have, they'll contract someone like me. And I need 5,000 coyotes. And you know what I always buy. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'll go to sale now with the with the phones and all the technology today. You can They can watch it live and you basically sit in the middle and he can watch the sale. He knows a bit and it's like, you want, you know, he can just keep, yeah, 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 you know. So he can do it in his office. Huh. It's live sales, yeah. So you'll see on the sale, guys will have the phones and the computers going and bidding. And then it's like, okay, what number you, who are you, who are you buying under? Because every buyer has a number and you might have five of them in front of them. Does that happen, okay. Does that happen like, pretty quick? Once it gets going, and I haven't. I've had. If you've never been to a sale before, you'll be behind. Yeah. You want to know a page run? You'll be lost. I know. I was call. <laughs> I was. I was calling into a salvage auction. I've done it twice now, and it's amazing how quick it goes. Somebody calls you up, and they're like, "All right, do you want it? It's at this. Do you want it? It's at this now. It's like, uh, sure. And like, cool. It's yours. And you're like, it's done. And like, yep. Yeah, these are live auctions. Like, uh, um, it's. These live auctions with a with a hammer gamble, um, it, it goes about as fast as you can write. Yeah. So you better know in the room what you're up, what what you want. But they're used to it. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They're used to buying it. You know, they and sometimes it's a little slow if you get a lot of people bidding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we you know the stuff is pre-valued. You know, like when we valued, I use a three-year average. Okay. Because the last sale was history. <laughs> you know, everybody looks at the last sale. Well, that don't mean nothing. You know, it's like going to a gas station. Well, that's what it was yesterday, so that's what it should be today. Well, no, it changed. Right. Right. You know, so we just use a three-year average. Okay. Okay. And then we value it, and, you know, you can value stuff and be, and miss it. The value of it, it, it on both ends, up or down. Styles change. I valued it three weeks ago. I can't read everybody's mind. Right. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell you this too high. I know it. 
you know, <laughs> we'll make it up and you know, bid for it, understand. Or they don't want the article. Sometimes they just no demand for the article, so you, d- you don't sell it. Interesting. And then you were saying when it comes to tanning, I just assumed like tanning was tanning, and you know, there was you know your set st- set of chemicals or whatever you use. But you're saying every tannery has like their own special. Yeah, yeah that's the tanners are pretty secretive because they all have their own way of doing it. Like there's some tanners are a lot better than others. Okay. Some specialize in different stuff like just dyeing. Mm-hmm. Um, some are better at certain articles. So a tanner, yeah, the tanning process is really complicated. I mean, it, it's you really have a lab. <laughs> okay. How they're mixed, you know, what they do. And yeah. a lot of the chemicals are recycled, and it's, it's quite a process. Interesting. And if a person wanted to do it themselves? You can buy the home tan kits, and it all it is is it's, uh, you know, like if you stretch and dry something, that keeps it from rotting in a carcass. Mm-hmm. But it is going to rot. It, you know, after it's stretched and dried, it's going to fall apart if it's not tanned, cured. Okay. So most of the home tans you get are kind of like a salt base. It's It's really a kind of a salt we call a hard tan it's going to turn hard on you because you don't have the equipment to break the leather yeah so you're just prolonging it you, you know like a coke could last i've had stuff tan 40 years is fine a home tan might only last 10 or 15 interesting got it because it's not you never got it really into leather got or, it. yeah but you prolonged it i uh because I, I tried that i'm speaking from uh experience or lack thereof so i shot a coyote Back when I lived in Nebraska, I'm like, I want to, you know, kind of go through this process. And so I bought the tanning yeah. solution kit from uh, Cabela's, where I was working at at the time. And, you know, I had it in the basement and I soaked it in whatever, Formula A and then Formula B. And then, you know, let it dry. And, it, and I didn't have all the proper fleshing tools. So there's a little bit, probably a little <laughs> bit of fat on it. But it did, it did cure it. And it was like, uh, you could have probably uh, hit a home run. I mean, it was stiff, you know, it was, it was like, <laughs> I, and it didn't, it didn't look quite as nice as these ones that you got here. So I, it sat on, uh, under the, uh, under the wood stove. That's where I kept it until I eventually I threw it away, Jim. But, uh, it did like, it was kind of a proof of concept though. Like yeah. it did, it did work. And it did prolong it. But it wasn't soft. Like it wasn't like a garment. Yeah. They do have some home tan stuff. There's some brain tan to do it. And there are some people that can home tan pretty good. Mm-hmm. But they spent hours at it. Interesting. Gee. What gives it? Like, well, I don't what, think we'll be doing that. Probably the, not. The, the oil in the, the the oil they put back in the in the leather. Okay. And mm-hmm. then that leather has got certain thicknesses to, to grind that leather down. Yeah. Okay. And they have a grinding wheel for that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. If you go to a tanner, the one of the hardest things is uh, to to learn and or to get guys to do, and that is to grind that leather down to a without exposing the, the fur roots. Okay, right. So it's pliable, and then then re-oiling it. Yeah. Gotcha. Do they are they tumbling it, or what? What makes it so like pliable and after soft? they wash it and stuff, that that's oil in it. Oh, that's oil. Then the break and the, uh, the the solution they're using. Okay. And then they also solution. have automatic brakes, like you know you'd work it over horse, you see or whatever guys do that, and they yeah. have automatic brakes. And then, uh, but when they originally when they soak in that solution, a lot of them do use a drummer, just to dry it to clean it. But the last oh. step will usually be a, a drummer. It's a little bit different even than what we use, yeah. a cleaner. That's why you get back. It's so clean, and then it's oil. You can see the shine to it. Mark, before we turn into Breaking Bad over here, though, I don't think we... I know. I can tell you're getting 
you're antsy. I just I had too many questions. My list gotta, was too long. Your Jim. list is oh my gosh, we're still even on the first. Oh no, two I, pa- full no, pages. I printed off um, one for you too. So we should do, there's just one page. We should do this. We should do, we've we've talked. We've gotten all the way to the tanning, but let's circle back up, get to the front end, and take a coyote from the round and get him scun out. Absolutely, I like that. And I'll let you do it. Can't wait. Greg, as you can tell, I'm personally fascinated by all this stuff, hence like probably the nine hours I've been making you, you talk about it. But we appreciate you taking the time oh, you bet. to provide your insight here. You definitely have a lot of experience. So, But no, it's interesting uh, concept to see. The one thing in this business that always amazes me is you can take a, you deal with every religion under the sun, mm-hmm. people from all over the world, all the way from, and not in a bad way, from, you know, Amish mm-hmm. to their stuff all the way to... You name it, you know, guys that have billions, of millions, you know. Mm-hmm. It's funny to how it all connects. And then when you're selling this stuff and you're going through it, you know, because everybody has a signature. I usually know just whose it is. Yeah. You know, it's funny. So it's it's interesting just you to watch it. a lot of different people. When you see it on both ends. Hmm. You yeah. Know? It'd be fun to have a, a little camera on your coyote and you can see it graded, drummed, all the way. You know, <laughs> see just, all the different touch points. Yeah, it, it would amaze you. See how many people look at it at a sale. Oh, my gosh. You know, just watch all the way to who's wearing it, and you'd, you'd blow your mind. Gosh, yeah. Quite wild. the journey. It's a journey. Quite the journey. It is a journey. Yeah. Well, and, and hopefully with some of this that we're talking about, Jim, maybe we'll uh, inspire some folks to get back in the game. Or not get back to start because it's, it's a lot of them do stuff. start. They just a lot of them, you know. It's a lot of them do it. They're just trying to. Um, you just can't be ever teach everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just the country's too vast, and there's not the knowledge left out there to to do it to teach them. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully in the next couple of minutes you'll teach two more. We'll teach some more. All right, let's do it. Okay. Right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.